All right. Um, it is, what day is it? It's Thursday, uh, February 8th. And mm -hmm. we're talking to Tiana McFadder, who I am so excited uh, has joined the advisory board of Oslo for AI. Um, Tiana and I have known each other for a couple of years um had uh had had a little bit of work together but have always wanted to work together in a sort of meatier way and i think i think we're both excited about uh, the opportunity that that oslo presents um one of the things that you know has always uh um been obviously a big part of your story but a big part of how i got to know you um was uh the fact that you went to west point which is remarkable just on its own but um, but you got to West Point um, in a particular way um, because not everybody who goes to West Point goes uh, on a double A basketball path. Um, so I know you're originally from Ohio. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Tell us a little bit about how you got from Ohio to the point. Yeah. Okay. Um, so. It's funny. I obviously, as you kind of you 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 didn't bury the lead there. I um I I played basketball. Was really good at, at sports. Basketball and soccer were my two things, um in particular. Um and so by the age of twelve or so is when I started getting letters from colleges, which is a whole other thing and experience. Um and West Point was not on my radar. No one in my family is in the military, so I had two potential paths. I also was was um encouraged to be very much an overachiever academically by my parents. So I had the academic path, right, where my family was upper middle class, so like we weren't gonna get financial aid, but there were some um, options for just purely for the educational value, like Ivy Leagues, right, that don't really put people on sports scholarships. They do more now, but not in the 2000s, early 2000s. And then the other option was to go for basketball. Um, and so basketball, that's what I kind of was leaning towards. My top choices were Big Ten schools, um, Purdue being the one that fit the educational rigor and was an incredible program. Um, the first black coach, black female coach to win an NCAA championship was the coach at the time. So like I was very connected to that team. Um, but what kind of thrust me into thinking seriously about West Point is she left Purdue and went to Florida very different. So Florida would not have met the standard of <laughs> the kind of education that I wanted. No knock to Florida. Um, but for me, right, it didn't quite fit. Um, and so um, I was visiting Columbia with my dad in New York City. West Point's two hours north of New York City. And he said, you know, West Point's only two hours away. And I was like, oh, it's really close to the city. He knew nothing. He's like, we can just drive up there. So we drove up there and saw it. And it's beautiful. This is in the summer, right? There's no connects. There were, at that time, I actually don't think there were any connects. So it's beautiful. I was like, oh, okay, whatever. I only spoke to them, um, keep, kept speaking to West Point, because as a recruited athlete, you have lots of coaches calling you. You're a seven, 16-year-old kid. You could care less. The West Point coach grew up in Ohio, and we knew people in common. Mm -hmm. So as a high school kid, I still don't like talking on the phone. She could connect with me. And so I, as a almost like charity case, and I'm not joking, Michael, my intention was like, I'll just go and check it out. So I made them my, my first official visit. You get five paid official visits as a recruited athlete in Division One. They were my first, and I felt spiritually pulled to go to West Point when I was there on my visit. I canceled. I was this much of an independent asshole, just being honest, like with ego, like I know what's best for everything. <laughs> but I said, no more other official visits. I'm going to West Point. Came back. Now, to what, what 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 spoke to you so powerfully about 
Ab- like, about- what's so weird? I've always had, like, I've always coached. I've always helped. I've always volunteered. I was a Girl Scout my entire, like, childhood, you know, up and through high school. So I am a service mentality person. Right. Um, so I think I can wrap it up in that, in in women that I could relate to, right? So I was with the women's basketball team, super high achievers. Did you see them? Like, like yeah. so that you're not in if you're the only one of those in your community, even though my basketball team was very good, but I'm talking academically. Do you know what I mean? Just that whole stature. Yep. Being in that environment, um, I think it was the that romance of all of it, you know? Um, and I was they brought me in at the same time as someone that ended up being the leading scorer, all-time leading scorer at West Point. So like they just did it right, got a little yeah. bit of magic, and then I really again, but it wasn't logic. It wasn't like this is a great school academically; it will set me up for life. That was not my why, even right. though I could justify it that way. No, it was I felt God. I felt something calling me. Like this is where you're supposed to be. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And and okay, so so you're at the point you do all the things. I do all the things. Yeah. And I know that uh, that that during your your time there, uh, you had a bunch of injuries playing. Yeah. Uh, and ultimately, those injuries were serious enough that they they made it impossible for you to serve. At the end of your time, you graduated. Uh, all of your classmates went on into active duty service, or yeah. all of your type friends I know. Um. Uh, but but you didn't. Um. So what happened? Where'd you go? Ah, so I ended up at, at Procter and Gamble, um, and I've always liked math and data and statistics. Um, I, I was the kid in the when, during the road trip because we drove to North Carolina every summer from Ohio. I was doing like word problems, like that was my book of fun, you know. So that and that's stats, you know. Like so, they 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 bunch it in a th- in a fun little game, but it's statistics, and so I always loved it. It's probability. Um, I had a knack for it at West Point. Um, so the CIA was my other option, funnily enough. Um, and I said no to that because I felt like I would give away my whole life. Um, and I wasn't ready to kind of do that a second time to my family. Um, and so I right. said went to Procter & Gamble only because I did not even know what Insights and Analytics really was going to do and be. But <laughs> they recruited me with West Pointers. No other place recruited me with actual oh. West So I felt kindred spirits with them, you know, and that they would understand me at, for my first job. Um, and I loved it. It was an amazing place to start kind of my journey into data and what that means and how you make it actionable and how you make it influence people. And, and did you start in Cincinnati? Because I know I know you had a couple of different places, you know. Yeah, no, actually. I never worked for practice oh, okay. in Cincinnati, okay. which is one of my badges of honor, um, <laughs> especially growing up in Ohio. Right. Um, again, I'm like knocking on these places. No knock to Cincinnati, but... Um, it wasn't the place for me. It's not my favorite place on earth. And so I started in another place that people might not think is anyone's favorite, but Arkansas. So I started on the Walmart customer team with Proctor, right, right, right. Um, which was an incredible place to learn. Uh, it's the, you know, Proctor is the biggest supplier to Walmart. This was Walmart's heyday. Like they're opening, you know, a couple hundred stores a week. It's the, in the most rapid growth that they ever had was when I was there. Um, and so you learn really quickly how to have an impact. And, you know, I went to West Point, so I didn't want to not have an impact. I need to know that people felt my presence. Um, yep. So yeah, really, really learned learned a lot there as my first job. What what you know when you walked out of that job ultimately into into the next one, what was the thing, or what were the things that that you really took with you that mm. that 
you know, like what what did you learn that you were excited about continuing uh, on the path of deepening uh, your oh. work? So on. Yeah, that's cool, Michael. Good question. Um, so I have a very different answer in hindsight, but like right then, right. I love that I was working on things that people knew. Right. So like right. I got to change the pet section. Like I was the key force telling the buyers and the departments at, at Walmart to make the pet section much bigger because basically people would buy as much as you give them to buy yeah. um, in that particular environment. So like that as an example, which came purely from an insight who I was working on Iams dog food, you know, that I uncovered, that I got to take, like seeing that and then now walking in a store and seeing the section is now two aisles instead of one, that is incredible. Working on the toilet paper that my mom used, incredible. Right. right. You know, so taking like, oh, there's something really powerful about working in and around something that's tangible that affects the world every day. So I got kind of addicted to that. Um, and wanted to make sure I continued to do that, which I think is what took me fully into marketing, you know, as like a, a place that I had a little bit of um, now I think expertise in, but like why I keep chasing that is because I like people to feel what I'm doing, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, connect that if you can to, you know, because obviously um, being on a team was a mm. huge thing for you growing up. It was a huge thing. At West Point, not just the basketball team, but I know that the group of people um, that you were you were tight with when you were at West Point. Again, another kind of team. Yeah. There, there's that whole uh, team sense of both belonging and work in in the military esprit de corps. Um, so what what a, you know what what was feeding that when you when you moved into this you know actually quite different environment and and then from P and G onto Ricketts, right? Yeah, Racket. Um, yeah, um, and and the, so I, I think, of course. Yeah, no, I think that um, the part of team that I love was one like I don't really think any of us are loners, not for real. That doesn't mean we don't need alone time, um, but I think like we, we we like are drawn to each other, you know, and want to be a part of something. Um, and so teams for me, um, that's like I felt that I always felt like I was able to kind of see people for who they were. Um, and what they might be good at, which, even though if that's not what everyone else is measuring is the best thing. And so that's what's always attracted me to teams. And I think I've taken that in from like being a part of a team to then, so then I was naturally kind of the captain of most of my teams growing up, but then taking that into um, growing a team and building a dream and, and attracting a team. Um, and so again, like there's nothing like it having um, to support, like knowing skill-wise you're better than someone but I still have to support them if they're the one that the coach has chosen. Like that level of humility and mm. really it's about something bigger than me. And I'm not in charge of that decision, even if I think it's the worst decision ever, I still have to be supportive or I kill the team or I'm the cancer, right, on the team. So that like learning and that like quick feedback cycle, if I did everything I could, but someone did, basically said it's not enough and that this person's better for very different reasons, Again, that like rapid learning um, and still being close in, to those people, right? That beat you, um, yeah. being fiercely competitive because I am as a person, like all of those interpersonal dynamics and honestly empathy for other people and also just seeing people. Um, I think that's what the basketball and the team stuff has brought into sort of my corporate or professional career. But also Michael, what I recognize, because I was always like the coach on the team, the coach on the floor. Mm -hmm. Also at West Point, like I got a letter 
a year ago, no, not a letter, a DM from a, a cadet where I was, I was in charge of him as a freshman. And the fact that like then 20 years later, he sent me a DM thanking him um, for leading him the way that I did and, mm. and seeing him um, in a special way. And I was blown away, Michael. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like, you know what I mean? And I've had, um, so I think I have that, you know, I, I, I have, what I, how I describe it on my personal website is like helping people see that something's possible that they thought was impossible. You know, yep. again, it's, that's what I've done when I coached, like a, a little girl might think she cannot do it behind the back. And yep. my moment of joy is the second she does it on her own and looks at you like, wow. Yep. And they did it. A coach helped someone do it themselves. I don't do it for you. Right. Yep. And so that I've taken that now everywhere. <laughs> um, every team yeah. I'm a part of. Well, and, and something what you said earlier made me want to ask you about making the connection between learning and winning. Because uh, you mentioned learning uh, a bunch of times. Um, obviously, I mean, I know I've gotten to know you well enough to know, you know, the competitive side of you um, and that that's, that's not a new side. Um, so, yeah, d- connect the dots for me about, uh, uh, like, when when did you learn and what was it like to learn that learning was key to winning, right? Not just, not just being good, right? Uh, yeah. but, but how you learn and how that's a dynamic that isn't just about you, but about how you work with others. Yeah. I think, um, for the learning side of things, Michael, it was really just getting my ego checked and also understanding the impact that I might have because of only where I can use to say is like my uniqueness on the surface. Do you know what I mean? It's like, ah, she went to West Point. She looks the way she looks. She has that background, she has whatever, that all in a package provides a certain, and then my just own aura and energy comes into a room in a certain way. And I got feedback really early that it's through no fault of my own, but that that might make other people not feel comfortable. Mm. And that I, if I wanted to get, to, to, to be a person that other people wanted to be around, wanted to work with, wanted to contribute with, I had to find a way to measure, to manage that. Right. which is very interesting to get early on and to then test. So that's the testing and learning. I tested it out. So then I tested out what happens if I talk last. Because if I talk first, because I'm emphatic, the way I communicate, people think like that's the way. And like she's decided it already, which is not the case. It's just how I communicate. If I save that till the end, sometimes people think, well, now she's closing it. That's what we're doing. So like you have to, it's been so interesting me, depending on the dynamics of the group, crap figuring out like well how can i optimize even my own learning and also you know again i i I, now back to the winning part michael i want us to get to an objective now the biggest difference that i've seen now as like an adult a fully working adult that's now been in the world outside of school for 20 years coming up coming up on 20 years is the rules to winning were very clearly defined when Mm -hmm. i was as i was a kid And even in my early part of my career, it's like, if I do these things, I win, I get promoted, I'll get the job, I'll, we'll sell more toilet paper. Do you know what I mean? If I get her to put more packages on them, then not just as an entrepreneur, really when I then started managing people and to become an entrepreneur, what I recognize is, ah, the way the world defines winning, I'm not aligned with. (laughs) So then it's like a whole nother game. You know, I am the opposite of win at all costs. That is not 
right. the way that I think, you know, so, so again, so how do you turn the learning into the winning or how do I redefine what the winning is? Or like, I mean, Mike, it's a, I think it's a lifelong journey. I definitely haven't cracked it yet. Yeah, so I mean, you know, it, it, it strikes me, uh, there's, there are obviously some very different in sport and otherwise, some very different philosophies of winning. Um, you know, I'm really, uh, I'm really interested in the model of team, the model of coaching a team, um, which, which really focuses on the team, not the individuals. Um, and, um, you know, you mentioned earlier, uh, both in the context of team and other things, um, empathy and humility. Um, and, you know, I remember watching the, the Netflix documentary about the Bulls, uh, The Last Dance. Um, and yeah. you know, what was so interesting to me as somebody who like knows very little about basketball, um, <laughs> you know, what I really took away from that story was um, that the years that that Phil Jackson coached the Bulls um, and that Michael Jordan became the Michael Jordan. Yeah. Ironically, was also the time in which he learned to be not the only one. Yeah. Uh, that, that was that, that that wasn't the team that, that Phil Jackson wanted to build. And that he believed that that was not the team where Michael Jordan would be the best version of Michael Jordan, which was yeah. not something I think that Jordan himself was persuaded of initially, but I think yeah. he was around to uh, so much so that when the decision was made that Phil Jackson was not going to continue, uh, Jordan said, well, I won't either. Um, <laughs> yeah, <exactly. laughs> but, but, you know, the other thing that really struck me um, watching, watching that documentary again, uh, you know, because I was learning about the game um, as I was watching it, I became really interested in, in how the team actually works. I mean, literally works mm -hmm. uh, because, you know, we, we, we're inclined to think and a lot of the language we use around sport inclines us to think, that um, playing sport isn't 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 a thinking activity, isn't <laughs> activity which exhibits intelligence or 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 even requires intelligence, skill, strength, all those things. But you know, again, when when my big takeaway was no 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 no, it's I mean the whole thing first of all is a learning machine, um, yeah. and it's you know it's apex performance is absolutely connected to that learning and so every way in which you can make all kinds of different learning available to the team and to the members yeah 100 yeah so I, i'm just curious again what what your experience of that was and and how you sort of you know um how, how that experience in play um you know became part of your experience of of how to do teamwork in a certain yeah it's funny Michael, um, I think because growing up, okay, so I was, as a kid, from the age of 12, my teams were always ranked in the top 25 in the United States mm -hmm. on whatever ranking. So, like, I always had, like, top performance. Now, never um, did I have, like, were we the best athletes. Like, if you just went person for person, I mean, I grew up in, like, Farmville, Ohio. Like, not everyone is a great athlete, but they're on the team. Mm -hmm. you know? mm -hmm. But our coach who's like in the coaching hall of fame, even though he had his own issues, was the smartest basketball mind I've ever encountered, easily, bar none. 
Like there's no mm. doubt. Um, and that's what he instilled in us. Um, and one, we were running a program. So this is why I'm obsessed with systems. I, when things, when there isn't like a way that the system works, I think it's really difficult for it to achieve something. That doesn't mean it wouldn't, it won't interact with each other, but for it to achieve, there needs to be a system that has some rules, you know? And so we had a system. That's the first thing. And so me understanding like, okay, you know, if you want a team to work with certain dynamics, there needs to be a system that we all understand. Yep. And then the the point of like the learning for us, we, we won the games where we blew out most teams. But then, you know, Michael, like I won a national championship when I was in high school. The reason we won that national championship is that all the super fast girls from California that were all ranked higher than us, where everyone thought were going to kill us, we were smarter. Mm. So like we mm. did all the things that they never thought of. Um, right. And we were disciplined. Right. And that is that is brain work. That yep. is not a skill, you know, um, skill wise. Like if you tried to make us all play one on one versus each of them, most of the time they would beat the the equal player on our team, you know. Yep. And so that that's like where I was like, wow, like we beat the like we were the underdog in our own court with a sold out stadium by far. Like we were supposed to get yep. smacked, Michael, twenty five points, and the opposite happened. So that I didn't. Oh, that happens to you when you're like fourteen. Oh, you're like, if I'm smart, do you know what I mean? If I apply myself, if I research the other person enough, if I, do you know what I mean? If I understand this market scenario, I can still win. It's not about me just being the best. Um, so that was instilled in me super early. And it's also one of the reasons why I don't love most professional sport, professional basketball so much until the the playoffs is because they're like, it's not serious. They're not right. taking it seriously. Right. Um, so I'm like, why am I watching? Like, that's the part I like. I like the sport of it, the game of it, the sure. mind of it, right? Um, so anyway. Yeah, I love that. Um, so let's go back to data because um, I know that you have developed, you know, a real a real philosophy of data. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, in in a lot of ways, especially in the, in the context of marketing, um, you know, the way a lot of people think about data is primarily um, uh, about about extracting information, uh, about pinpointing things, about you know, the language of targeting, right? And, mm. and this sort of system of identifying and hitting targets, right? Um, yeah. And I know that you, on the other hand, have a real interest in what um, how how data can help us learn more about people and the world um, yeah. in order to understand more um, and, and to use that larger understanding rather than a reductive understanding. Um, and I also know that you've connected some of the, that thinking in into, um, you know, kind of uh, an ethical philosophy around around the use of data. And, and, you know, you use the phrase of data for good, which of course others do too. But I'd love to hear how you think about that and um uh, yeah what what does it mean to use data for good and 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 what are the ways in which you have and are interested in making that kind of use of data yeah i mean one i think um this idea that um we are the subjects do you know what i mean like that, that like anything and everything about me and what i do and where i am whatever as being a free market type of thing, I think it's crazy, you know? So like I, I, like that, just like the, the sovereignty 
of me and my behavior and what happens just because I didn't necessarily be able to build all the pipes. So I think that that's just like an interesting place that I'm always um, trying to get people to understand the power they have um, in the billions of data points that they create in their bodies, mm -hmm. <laughs> in their mind, mm -hmm. in their, so like, like even in my person, if I'm never plugged into a thing, I am a data machine. So this mm -hmm. is what I, what I feel. And so the big sort of trick that's happened in big tech is defining data in the way that they have, in my opinion, so that we think it's something foreign and away from us that we don't understand and couldn't mm -hmm. understand. Mm -hmm. um, and so that like, like, unveiling like what it actually is and, and you know and really understanding that data is literally anything that can be passed through something else um again we are data machines right how do i see data how do i think data I'm like our body is literally a data storyteller so anyway so like i that's like my fundamental need of this thing around data um being used to do anything influence anything is fundamentally who we are and what we are. So that means like we have the power over it. Um, and when I say data for good is um, right now data for the most, like the biggest use cases in data are still used in an exploitive way, in a way that's profit at all costs still. I don't care what anyone says. If you dig it down all the way down, um, you can say, okay, well wait, but how is this being monetized? Or where is it going in the end? Or, oh yeah, it's these, 20% of things that are horrible and will ruin the world. Oh no, but 80% is great. I don't care. I don't want this, this, this world. I think it's really important um, that the world of data, it, it has just a different, different rule, rule set. And data isn't new. None of it's new. Um, our ability to collect it, distill it, share it is what is rapidly growing. Um, and the amount of data that we, yeah, measure is rapidly growing, but it's new. There's nothing new in the world in my sense, you know, not really. Um, so anyway, so that's how I really like, why, how is data for good? Is like, does it, in the end, is it harming someone or something for the benefit of something else? Well, I actually think that you don't need to do that. There is a because in the end, and when I ask you, well, why are you doing that? If you're harming, I'm not talking about, I made a choice between two things where it's like, I didn't harm, they're still in their same state. Right, like no harm was caused. And this isn't do no harm, it's that it can be used for good. So no, retrain the data, look at, go get more data. So I understand how they both come up, you know? So I understand how the community thrives as opposed to the community becomes a dumping ground for the waste or whatever it is, Michael. But the data exists, whether we've prioritized measuring it and bringing it into the system that tells us what to do, that's where all the ethics need to be. Um, there's data for everything. We're measuring how much water is in the air. You don't think I can measure the impact right. of some company's decision on a community, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so um, that's a good connection to, you know, as obviously we see the emergence of new AI technologies, obviously the one that's made the most impact in the last couple of years is LLMs. Yeah. Um, and um, and that's so so focused on the data of language um, or or the or the or the conversion of language into data. Um, you know, what are the things uh, when when you think about the potential of um, of using big 
plentiful data sets um, with AI in in positive uh, ways, in, in, in ways that, you know, not only don't do harm, but do new kinds of good. Uh, yeah. What are the things that you're, you're most excited by? Most excited about educating people, mm. <laughs> like easily, um, and, and using it to create kind of empathy machines, just connected, but a little different. Yeah. So the educating people, perfect example, is a doctor that has one black woman OBGYN mm. only has one black client connect her up to some AI and actually tell her about all the black women in the whole world that have ever been pregnant and things that they face. Right. Like there is no way for that doctor today to get that information. Right. And I don't want to wait for the biotech companies that are prioritizing the drugs that will make them more money or the detecting cancer in my x-ray. Yep. I don't want to wait. For that i want someone why why aren't you there's a problem it's here it's searching for the solution we can solve it yeah so that's like a that's education it's just educate at scale you know um in a way that would help faster yeah um, and I, I think that's that's such a great example and i think the you know first of all the idea of providing just-in-time information at the point of need um it's not a new idea but to your point it's a really powerful idea when you start to think about how um, how AI systems can can help learning in the moment, uh, even learn the learning of experts, um, yeah. help them deliver uh, better uh, better care, and and to your I mean like the most important point I think uh, there. Um, hey, you know. We understand that people are limited in their experience. Um, you know, uh, let's not penalize people for th for that. Um, and we don't have generations to wait to give people better care who are getting bad care because of lack of understanding, lack of information. Uh, exactly. the places where we can solve for that, um, of course. Um, I, I think that's a great example. Um, other. Um, well, the other, other one is on empathy, Michael. Yeah, so yeah. Powering AI, like using AI as which is a critical technology to do like you know spatial stuff, um, yep. and help bring someone into a situation that there's no way they could understand it, and therefore they're not prioritizing the action. Now, this is a different example. I've seen examples in like wartime and caring about kids and like yep. those really dire things, which I think are great examples. But I'll use one from literally my work over the past couple of years, where I had someone say to me that the concept of black wealth, like those two words don't go together. Right. And right. I was just like, wow, wouldn't it be amazing if I could quickly use AI to bring them into a situation where they felt how it felt and all the, and they were told not through me writing slides, yes, but in a generative, do you know what I mean? Imagery, articles, video, and they got it immediately because it's emotive. Right. So like that's an example of it creates empathy for something that you can't even understand. It also educates, but I'm really just trying to hit you emotionally because you know that's how we make decisions. And so I need to quickly get you into emotion. And generative AI in particular, when it's powered and leveraged in the right way, I think can do that quickly and easily when it's also powered with some other tech. So that's like these are just the places that like I immediately go. Um I, I go, I, I run from weaponizing it. Because I don't trust engineers. I've seen engineers. I've seen the makeup of 
the average engineer, if I just go to the mean or the median of that person, their background, their experiences, their biases, I do not want you deciding things. And so unfortunately there's judgment in models. Sure. That, and, and I don't think they've been, just like I don't think our police force in America has been adequately trained for the judgment we are now asking them to make. Sure. I do not think that the modelers in AI have been adequately trained for the judgment we're asking them to make. So that's why I don't think it should be weaponized at all. But that's just where I am, you know? Um, so there's so many for good uses for AI. Yeah, 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 yeah. That, you so, know, I mean, again, you know, the I, I want to go back to something you said about teams because uh, I want to make a, a connection to uh, an experience of mine, which which lines up and then connect it to what, what you're saying um, in, in, I think, uh, a real optimism about the learning opportunity uh, for all that that uh, AI can be part of part of powering, which is, you know, you, you said that that your team, like, you know, was not we're not necessarily the best players, the best athletes. Um, I was uh, I was I was in a choir when I was a kid. Um, and one of the things that you learn, uh, you know, being part of a choir is, you know, not everybody in a choir is a good singer. <laughs> and as it turns it turns out that doesn't matter, right? Um, you know, a choir is a certain way of making music with human voices. Yeah. It is not um, a, a machine that depends for its success on individual excellence of all the component players, right? Uh, what it depends on is a system for bringing voices together and making something of the voices together, right? Um, and again, um, you know, what there is to learn from the context that, that, that you bring about teams, um, the same with choirs. Again, you know, this idea which which I find rotten in, in some of AI thinking and certainly some of our human thinking about, you know, what we want is the superior, right? We want the, the superior minds, uh, we want the superior intelligence. We want machines that are superior to us, um, right? And 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 you know, or, or we think we do, right? Because we think somehow those are where we get the answers. Those are where we get the the winning, right? Winning comes from winners, individuals, um, and this is just, I mean, demonstrably not true in most of the con contexts that we care about. So why would it be true here, right? People don't yeah. learn alone. Uh, people don't act alone, um, you know? And again, you know, uh, I don't know how many times we have to learn, you know, in the example of companies. Um, successful companies are precisely the kinds of companies that figure out how to get the people, all of the people who work in that company to perform well together. Right? Mm. Not simply to perform at their maximum as individuals. That doesn't actually accomplish uh, the collective goal. Yeah. Uh, anyway, I, I agree. I think I think that that the interesting thing is as different as machines are from us. Um, they may be really powerful and useful in reflecting things back to us that yeah. are hard for us to see. Uh, I agree. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Hundred percent. Okay. Well, listen, um, thanks so much for the conversation. I'm so excited that uh, you joined, uh, joined us in this project. I'm excited for, 
um, what it's going to make possible in the conversations of this project, um, and what we can help people learn uh, uh, to be optimistic about, uh, yeah. and, and to build for that optimism. So, um, thanks, thanks for the enthusiasm. Thanks for the the history lessons, um, and thanks for being part of this. Yeah, of course, Michael. My pleasure. Okay. My pleasure.